0: Um, first sermon in our new sermon series, first cover time with our new sermon series. So um, before we dig into your sermon on Sunday, Joey, can you just give us a brief overview of what we're studying this Lent?
1: Yeah, sure. So in this Lenten series, we are studying uh, the way of the cross. That's the title of the whole series. We're looking at the last couple hours of Jesus's life as it leads to his crucifixion and ultimately the resurrection on Easter Sunday. So um, our prayer during this whole series is that our church would in each of us would embrace the way of the cross as the calling of God on our lives. And, um, by seeing how Jesus walks in this way, um, we would see in it, a, an example, a model, and also, uh, inspiration is not quite the right word for it, but you know, a, a uh, motivation for ourselves to also walk this way, you know, as those who are called to be like Christ, we are like Christ, even in the way he suffered. We'll take six weeks or so on this topic um, before the resurrection.
0: Okay. I like that we'll sit in that for a while. I don't, maybe we don't do that often enough. Um, So tell us then again about your sermon on Sunday.
1: Yeah. So this Sunday, we, it, this is the second sort of exposition of the last few hours of Jesus's life in, in Lent. The first one was on Ash Wednesday as pastor Jeff led us on in a very, you know, very brief because of the, that service in a very brief reflection on, um, Jesus praying in the garden and not my will, but, but your will be done. He prays to his father. Uh, so we turned from that this week to, okay. Jesus is resolute, you know, his face is set towards uh, Jerusalem, towards the cross. And uh, so now what starts to happen? And so we were looking at uh, the initial betrayal, Jesus betrayed by Judas, by, you know, one of his own, one of the 12 uh, who sold him out to, um, to the religious authorities who were uh, threatened by, frightened of Jesus and his calm, gentle authority and his preaching that the kingdom of God had come, the thing that they were. Supposed to be stewards of and pointing people towards was there, but they didn't want to let go of being, you know, being the answer, being in charge, being the rulers. And so, um, anyway, that's that's kind of beside the point. But uh, we were looking at this whole interaction and the various sort of personalities at play in the betrayal in the garden Judas, on the one hand, and what's going on in him, Peter, on the other hand, and sort of his own internal struggles, and then Jesus as sort of the calm center of this whole storm of conflict around him Mm -hmm. ultimately you know there's lots of different ways we could have looked or thought about applying this particular passage narrative is always tricky like how do you apply it? it's like well be like this person don't be like that person but that's not really the point the point was more okay jesus is beginning to walk in this way fulfill scripture and the the thing I, i was really driving at was um A, we need to embrace our calling as people who walk the way of the cross, Uh, but also it's kind of easy, I think, to read the the passage. Jesus is resigned to his fate. Well, here's what has to happen. This is what the scriptures foretold. You know, This is what God requires. I have to do it. I might as well grit my teeth and get through it, Um, but it's not at all what's going on. He is courageously bearing the burden, taking up the task that God has called him to and choosing willingly to walk into the way of the cross. So that's really kind Mm -hmm. of the, the initial model for us is choosing willingly to walk in the way of the cross, courageously uh, choosing the path of suffering.
0: Yeah. Okay. Thank you, Joey. Um, so is there anything that you felt like you had to cut for time for the sermon?
1: Yeah, I didn't spend a lot of time, um, really digging into what's kind of uh, Jesus as this calm center of the storm around him, um, sort of fully in control of what's happening around him. You know, all of the uh, anger of the mob on one side and the anxiety and fear of the disciples on the other side and how he's able to maintain a a really calm center in the middle of that. I think that's kind of the, uh, we would all desire to to sort of be that figure in a situation like this with conflict Mm -hmm. all around to be the one who's calm and centered and, you know, acting out of convictions instead of just out of reaction and all of that. Sure. Um, of course for, for Jesus on the one hand, it's possible because he's fully man and also fully God. Um, but on the other hand, he's also fully man, fully human. So with all of the human anxieties and everything that, you know, comes with being human and yet it, because of his, uh, I say courage in the sense of like the classic virtue of courage, because he is courageously committed to this path. Um, there is a peace there, I think, in uh, knowing the direction you're going in, knowing what's right and doing what's right, even when it's it's difficult. So there there is a, a sense in which it's like, hey, we could kind of like be like Jesus in the sense of know what you're called to do, know what's right, and do it no matter what the outcome is and you trust the outcome to god so
0: okay thank you
1: yeah
0: um all right so we've got uh i've got a few questions to throw at you yeah one was one that was submitted um so this question is about judas did his betrayal of jesus condemn him Jesus to hell or was his subsequent regret in the following chapter um as well as this just like being in line with God's will did that maybe like reverse that in any way um so considering that this is what God intended and was felt was necessary would Judas still be condemned
1: yeah it's it's a good question and um so there's kind of a a, some theological foundations that help answer the question. Number one is remembering that all of us, every one of us is condemned to hell by our own choice and by our own actions, by our own nature, even before we commit any particular sin or any particularly grievous or heinous sin, right? It's not that we are all neutral until we do something really bad and then we're Mm -hmm. condemned. Mm -hmm. So Judas is not like a neutral character until he betrays Jesus and like, Oh, well now he's condemned. Like we're all condemned Judas as well as everyone else until we come to Christ in faith and are redeemed from our sins by him. So in that case, in that sense, we need to remember Judas is already, just like all of us condemned until he repents and comes to Christ in faith. So Did he, for some reason, and and this is a kind of a classic question, I remember debating this question when I was in youth group, like, well, Judas was doing God's will. Okay, Judas isn't a pawn. He's not like a a character on a chessboard that uh, God is moving around. And even if he gets not, you know, taken out and knocked off the board, and he he gets back on the board, eventually. um, Judas is freely choosing all of this. Now, God is choosing to kind of make make actual the world in which Judas freely chooses. So God's using what Judas did to accomplish his own plan, but Judas is freely choosing it. So uh, he's condemned already, he's betrayed Jesus, which is an indication I would think of not having uh, a saving faith in Christ. And his repentance or his regret later is not a repentance of what he did wrong and a coming to Christ for forgiveness and faith. It is a despair resulting in suicide. Mm-hmm. Um, he's not turning and coming to Jesus and saying, forgive me for what I've done, like Peter, uh, even in that look that they exchange. Um, he is saying, I am so far gone that the only option for me is death. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I wouldn't take his uh, his regret and his suicide as evidence of repentance or saving faith, but rather mm-hmm. as uh, him being in in despair and taking his own life instead of uh, facing up to what he had done and coming coming back to Christ uh, and asking forgiveness. Mm
0: -hmm. Okay, thanks, Joey. Um, All right, so Nathan and I uh, were able to chat following your sermon, so the the next few questions kind of come out of that conversation. Um, Your final application question for us to consider – Um, and ask ourselves is, do I absorb more pain or hurt or anger or strife than I put into the world and into the relationship, a work meeting, a family gathering, a marriage or whatever? And when you you did clarify that absorb means just like not amplifying the hurt and the anger and the strife, which I think actually I really... I'm glad you did clarify that, um, but then I think there are some like nuances within this question because as I was starting to ask myself this, I'm like, "Oh, how do I do that?" I start to realize, um, I think it depends on the relationship, or it depends on the scenario that I'm in, or um, are there some boundaries where it becomes unhealthy and that kind of thing? So let's start. Let's start there, um, or actually. Let's start with, um, Jesus did this. This is the way of the cross. This is why you're asking us to do this, but he did it because he was taking on our sin. Um, so why do we do it if we're not, we're not doing it to take on other people's sin?
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's a great question. And I'm really glad you guys were talking about it. And I I mean, I kind of, the the prayer is that lots of people were talking about that going, Oh man. Yeah. How does that work itself out? You know? Mm -hmm. And themselves discerning with the Holy spirit's guidance, like how would this apply in this situation or that situation? So I have thoughts that are maybe not universally applicable, but could help people as they're kind of wrestling with this. Um, one, one person I was talking to afterwards, uh, you know, good old, uh, Iowa farm boy, uh, told me, he's like, man, in our family, we just always put it this way. Are you helping or are you hurting? Um, you know, your kid comes running to you complaining about one of their siblings and what's going on and say, well, are you helping or are you hurting? Uh, which is a, a a lot better way of putting it than do you absorb more than you put in? You know, are you helping? Are you hurting? So I love that. Mm-hmm. Um Yeah. So the, the one thing to keep in mind here is, uh, or as we think of the parallels. So when Jesus absorbed all of our sin or took on himself, all of our sin uh, on the cross, he was paying the penalty for our sin uh in a At a cosmic level, we could put it that way, sort of an infinite level. He is paying for our sin before God, redeeming us from it. Mm -hmm. When we take on someone else's pain or sin, uh, sort of the death that they impose on us, I'd say death in kind of a metaphorical sense. uh, We are also making, in a sense, a payment, but not at that like cosmic level. So think about it in terms of forgiveness, right? Um, You get into a a fight, a disagreement with your spouse. They say something, do something that uh, is really painful for you. Uh, When you forgive them, you are choosing to pay the cost of not exacting retribution or holding it against them or bringing it up as a way to emotionally control them or manipulate them or whatever. Somebody pays a price for something. If you can think of it more tangibly. Um, I remember once when I was a kid, I was visiting my uh, my uncle uh, who lived in California, my favorite uncle. I flew out there when I was 12, like all by myself with money I saved from my paper route and all that. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was playing with uh, his cats and one of his cat toys and, you know, flinging, it was like a, a a weighted thing on the end of a string on the end of a wand. And I'm flipping this thing all around. And I accidentally smashed this like little crystal figurine that his girlfriend had. And I didn't tell anyone for like years until finally, I I think I confessed to it. and, And I don't know that I was mature enough to confess and ask for forgiveness, but for him to forgive me for breaking this thing means he's absorbing the cost of it. Like he himself is paying the cost of replacing it or the loss of the thing, right? So that's a very tangible, like physical uh, example. But the same thing is true of us in our relationships with one another. When we say or do something that's damaging to the relationship or the other person, someone's paying the cost. Mm -hmm. There's always a cost that has to be paid. You can't just forgive, um, you know, freely forgive. Why can't you just forgive that person? Well, because it's a pretty big price for me to pay to forgive them. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, we are not absorbing the cost or paying the, the penalty for it in that kind of cosmic before God redemptive sense, but right. we are, uh, we are absorbing a pain. We are absorbing a cost and bearing mm-hmm. that cost ourselves when we don't, when we, you know, absorb it or when we don't amplify it and, and pay it back. So, uh, yeah, in that sense, there's, there's a parallel there to what Jesus is doing on the cross. Uh, we are doing ourselves and yet at a much lower level, I think of Peter writing, um, you know, let us love one another because love covers over a multitude of sins. That's that same kind of redemptive language that's used of like the blood of a sacrifice covers over sins. Mm -hmm. Peter saying your love for one another covers over those sins, you know, absorbs the cost onto yourself, refusing to exact that cost out of the other person.
0: Sure. Okay. Thanks, Joey. So then, um, all right, follow up question. Okay, so I think that there are a variety of ways that this could potentially become unhealthy. Um, so what if it becomes unhealthy in the way of it starts to grow resentment or bitterness, because you feel like you're always the one doing the absorbing, and it's time for the person to take ownership over their actions?
1: Yeah, yeah, that's a really good question. So a couple of thoughts. One is, um to the person asking the question, I would want to ask, what do you mean by healthy and unhealthy? You know, if by healthy, you mean, um, what if it impinges on my, my sort of complacent emotional state? Like, I don't want to feel emotions, like strong emotions of, um, resentment or anger or bitterness. I don't want to have to forgive. It's unhealthy for a person to force me to do that. If that's what you mean by unhealthy, then we we need to have another conversation about what is this life that we're called to and what Mm -hmm. is the nature of being a human being in relationship with others. Um, But assuming... The, the question is more in the the sense of like, how do I guard my own heart in this? Mm-hmm. Um, like, yes, I, I need to, I want to pour myself out for others. How do I guard my own heart right. in this? Yeah. Um, so y- your question about, okay, har- uh, it's growing in me bitterness or resentment um, is a, that's a real issue. And it's an issue that, or a, a symptom of a deeper issue, which is you're not actually absorbing the full cost you're not ab- absorbing the full thing to absorb it and be bitter or absorb it and be resentful uh, is still insisting that they pay something, right? That, okay, you're going to absorb it, but not all of it. I'm going to make sure that they at least pay a, a you know a tax on it. They got to pay sales tax on this thing. <laughs> and uh, I'm going to be, I'm going to be resentful and bitter until they do. Right. So it's not absorbing the full cost of of the grievance. And that's the kind of thing that with a mentor or spiritual director or spouse or something, um, you'd really have to wrestle in a one-on-one or like an individual, uh, case and say, okay, I want to forgive this person or I want to not hold this against them. And yet there's still a part of me that's really resentful about it. Like, how do I deal with that? Mm -hmm. Um, and ultimately, however it works itself out in the particulars, the, the ultimate answer to that or, or uh, approach to it is, okay, well, how much, how much did, did Jesus cover 90% of our sins so that we paid sales tax on the last 10% you know, so that we worked hard in order to do all the right things for him to then be okay with us? It's like, well, no, you know, he paid all of it, even for those of us who continue to presume on his forgiveness to do what we want without holding it against us or being bitter or resentful. Uh, so that, that's kind of like the goal or the picture out there that we we look at in order to to at least long for that same attitude in ourselves. Mm-hmm. Now that doesn't answer the practical question of what if someone is really taking advantage of me? And it'd be easy to say, well, Jesus says forgive 70 times seven times, right? So you just got to take it. Sure. Well, if I go back to that really kind of simplified way. I mean, simple as in good, simple way of looking at it. Are you helping? Are you hurting? There comes a point where continuing to absorb someone else's pain or death without confronting them about their actions is not helping them it is hurting them yeah. so there's a real wisdom balance here that probably needs to be figured out in community with the other other people you trust that know the situation that you're not gossiping because you're asking them for help you're not just complaining but you're saying hey help me figure out how do i in the you know at the same time that i, I absorb this pain that's being caused or the sin that's being directed at me how do i also help this person become aware of and cognizant of their own sin the pain that they're causing so that they can face what's happening in their own hearts, repent and, and seek, uh, seek Jesus for forgiveness, for healing and for reconciliation and for their own growth in, uh, in Christ likeness.
0: Mm-hmm. That's really wise. Yeah. Thanks, Joey. Oh, were you going to say something else. Yeah.
1: No, I was just going to say it, it is a real tough balance, right? Uh, it's a real tough balance. Um, yeah. part of even the sort of the pastoral call or the call of being a leader Uh, which is a little, which is different than just sort of being a member of the congregation. How do you interact with other members of the congregation? The call to be a leader is really to take on more than your share, Mm. to um, own more than is yours to own, because again, in a way similar to Christ, but even as more of a sort of example or exemplar of it, your call is to absorb the death and the pain of the people that God has called you to shepherd so that in you taking on their death they can find life that doesn't simply mean taking it always being like oh i'm the one who's wrong you know please forgive me or anything there's there's a role for that but also to walk into situations where someone else may be angry at you for pointing out their sin pointing it out for their own good and then absorbing that anger (laughs) immediately turning and absorbing that anger and okay i know they're not mad at me Projecting onto me, there. Well, whatever, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. But that—that's the call of Christ-like community.
0: Yeah. So, um, going off of what you were just saying, like, what if the—the um, the pain, the hurt, or the anger is actually directed right at you? Like, I think I could picture there being a difference between, like, oh, there's just like it's a really angry business meeting, or it's a really messy family mm-hmm. gathering. But mm-hmm. what if it's like a one-on-one and it's being like lobbed at you um Mm -hmm. like that is going to change how we respond so um there's like i mean i think i could imagine in the family gathering i'm it's pretty easy to like not lob like throw something into there like another bomb or whatever because i could just be quiet i can listen i could absorb i could try and sow peace but Mm -hmm. i'm required to interact and respond when I'm in this like one-on-one conversation and that is harder, I think. So mm-hmm. any advice there? Sure.
1: Yeah. You know, uh, one thing that it does occur to me and I want to make sure I'm very clear about this is I am not talking about situations of abuse, Yeah, physical abuse, sexual abuse, um, emotional or spiritual abuse. I am not saying you just got to take it, right? You just got um, to, when you're being physically, emotionally, spiritually, uh, sexually harmed, then you need to get the proper authorities involved and um, seek wise counsel and all of that. So I don't want anyone to hear me saying, you just got to take this sort of thing, but um, yeah, when it's directed right at you, right. um, There's a, there's a number of things we have to keep in mind. And, and some of it, even in this, this passage, we just looked at, we can look at Jesus and his own response to the anger of the, the crowd coming at him, you know, he's like, so are you guys come, why are you coming at me? Like I'm an insurrectionist, you know? Um, one is that anger that's being directed right at you is almost always. So either it's coming at you because you did something wrong Mm -hmm. uh, or unwise, in which case you got to own it. And, and even, and realize that even, you know, owning it, admitting to it, asking forgiveness is not going to immediately take care of the anger um, because there's pain that has to be worked through um, on all sides. Uh, so either it's valid or it's um, directed at you in, in, for um, incomplete or wrong reasons, in which case, especially as a pastor uh, um, and to some extent as just a brothers and sisters in Christ, um, because we want to help that person not hurt them in response, um, our call is to, in a sense, absorb that anger in order to help them get below the anger to what the real issue is. Um, so someone's yelling at you in a one-on-one and it's like, hey, I can tell you know that, that you feel really strongly about this. Um, why do you, can you tell me why you feel very strongly about this issue, this topic mm-hmm. and continue to go under the emotion to the, the underlying reason or the underlying issue um, that is driving that emotion instead of taking the emotion personally as an attack on you, your self-worth, you know, your contribution, your, Don, um, you really, um, the, the angers maybe directed at you, but it's, if it's for an invalid reason, then it's not directed at you because of you it's directed at you because you're the thing, you're there. block it. You're there. Exactly. You're there. You're the thing blocking uh the the real issue the real desire and our call is to help is to help not hurt and help the other person find or go under that to what's really going on
0: Mm -hmm. okay um so then um as we're considering this question do i help am i helping Mm -hmm. or am i hurting um i think it can also just depend on that relationship like oh i think i help in this area but man when it comes to me and my mom or me and this Mm -hmm. coworker or me and my husband, whatever it is, it's like, Oh, we are just oil and water, you know, Mm -hmm. or we just keep butting heads or what if it's, you know, the difference between me, a believer and a non-believer. And like, that's Mm. just the ascent that's, that is just the heart of the problem is just disagreeing here because they're just they don't believe in christ or they don't have Mm -hmm. the spirit of christ Mm -hmm. and so um is there any difference of how we like navigate these relationships of helping not hurting Mm -hmm. um for the difference between a believer and a non-believer do we go about it differently should it be the Mm -hmm. same regardless of who we're talking to and then like man how do you just deal with like maybe the baggage that you have in a relationship man
1: yeah Whew. Yeah. I, I mean, those are, those are tough and, and real questions, you know, to, so the difference between an unbeliever and a believer is in the, okay, are you helping not hurting right in the helping part of absorbing and taking on pain? Um, the, the end goal for the two relationships is similar, but different in some key ways. If the relationship was in, is with another believer, then the sense of helping is in what you absorb and also what you say and how you confront um sin or sinfulness your goal there is to call that person back to submission to Christ uh and to the Christ like way to say in essence something like look your your anger your uh, th- that you're directing at me um like of course i can i can forgive that we can move past that the real issue here is this, right? And I'm putting it very bluntly. This is not how you would say it in a conflict with a person. It would just escalate. Um, if it's with a non-believer though, right? Your goal is not to call them back to submission to Christ. Your goal is to introduce them to Jesus in the first place mm-hmm. um, so that they can find the forgiveness and healing for these things that they're angry about uh, in a relationship with Christ. And so it's almost, it feels to me like a almost a higher calling when it's with a non-believer or that there's more weight on us to even absorb more in order to more clearly image Christ to them. And so Mm -hmm. the conversation with them is not like, Hey, I'm, I'm, you know, I I can forgive you for your anger. Um, but you need to submit this to Jesus. You know, the conversation is, is more like a, um, man, you, I, you know, I can tell you feel really passionate about this sort of thing. And I want you to know, like, I'm not offended by you feeling passionate about it. I mean, there's obviously something here that you really long for cling to want, you know, or afraid of losing, like, w- what's going on there A- and help me understand your heart and what's underneath this kind of pain or this, this anger. And boy, are you holding on to this thing so hard because you're so afraid to lose it? Like that's the, that's, this takes a lot of time but like that's the god you worship that's the thing that you've given your life to and that thing is never going to satisfy you're always going to risk be at risk of losing it and um and helping to take the that fear that anger and realize it help helping a person realize it is their attempt to hold on to a thing that ultimately will be lost uh, outside of christ so it, it's similar but very different goals. Calling someone back to submission to Jesus versus introducing them to Christ in the first place, mm-hmm. uh, and and so the the way of these interactions is yeah, it's very different.
0: Okay, well, thanks, Joey, for uh, yeah. helping with all those like in between nuances of trying to you know get this application to um, really sink into our hearts and you know be something that we're able to sit with for a while and really yeah. pray through. So I appreciate yeah. that.
1: I suppose we could uh, use that simple phrase again and say, are you helping them come to Jesus or are you hurting them coming to Jesus? Are you helping them come back to Jesus or are you hurting them coming back to Jesus? And, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Whoa, it's Addie. <laughs> Addie. Hey, Addie. Oh my goodness. That hat is amazing. <laughs> Do you have a question for cut for time? Let's see if I can find a cat. Oh, there's kitten. Did you know we sometimes call Kitten mashed potatoes because he is a giant fat lump of white fur and lays around like a big old bowl of mashed potatoes. Look at this guy. Look at this guy. All right, Kitten, say hi, Eddie. Hello, How are you? Say goodbye, Joe.
0: Bye,
1: Joey. Ooh, my phone's ringing. Oh, my daughter's calling. I better answer. Okay.
0: Yep. Okay. Thanks for recording Cover Time, Joey. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> bye. Okay, bye. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Cut for Time. If you wish to submit questions to our pastors following their sermon, you can email them to podcast at faithliveitout.org or text them into our Faith Church texting number, and we'll do our best to cover it in the week's episode. If this conversation blessed you in any way, we encourage you to share it with others. Thanks for listening. We'll be back again next week.